and welcome back to another episode of Artist Avenue. I'm Christiana Hartziotis, your host, and today I'm joined by the beautiful Erin Eloise. Erin is a New York City-based actress, dancer and singer, originally from the beautiful Pacific Northwest. She grew up and began her training as a dancer in Washington State and has since gone on to perform, coach and teach all over the USA. Erin received her master in music theatre at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama in London. She also had the opportunity to stay on at Central as a visiting lecturer on the course. In addition to her career as a performer, she's an internationally recognized yoga teacher. She has a passion for training and mentoring other teachers and plans to launch her first continuing education training in 2021. Erin's proudest accomplishment is getting to be a mother to her son William. Before we dive into Erin's beautifully unique journey, I would like to remind you that due to the current circumstances and the distance between Switzerland and New York, we had to record the interview online and therefore the quality might suffer at points. Nevertheless, please keep listening. I always say for a 2020 podcast, it's content over quality. So without further ado, enjoy this glorious episode with the gorgeous performer and superpower mom, Erin Eloise. I'm Erin Eloise. I am a professional actor, dancer, singer, and, you know, etc. in Brooklyn, New York. I'm originally from Washington State, so the Pacific Northwest, which right now I miss desperately. All I want is to be, you know, hiking in the mountains and outside doing beautiful things, but here we are. I am in my apartment in New York and that's where I'm staying for right now. Fantastic. <laughs> if we go back to your once upon a time, the beginning of your journey, how did it all start out for you? Um, so I started doing ballet when I was very, very young. And I don't really know that there was a, ever a time that I stopped. Um, when I was, I mean, I worked with a pre-professional company from the time I was seven or eight all the way through up until high school. And yeah, I, I don't really remember a whole lot of my childhood outside of that. It was ballet, 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 ballet. And then, you know, obsessive schoolwork at wee hours in the morning when I, cause I had to do ballet every night instead of schoolwork. So yeah, that was, that was life. And everything I know was like colored by what I did at ballet. Yeah. So did you just do ballet or did you do other styles as well in dancing? Yeah. I, so started in classical ballet and then I also started taking jazz classes probably when I was 10. And I just remember being so awful and so terrible. Like I couldn't move my rib cage or my pelvis and I... I think I got private lessons at one point because I was like, I think I should do this. I think I would be good at this, but I'm not right now. So I studied uh, jazz and then that was kind of like you know, something I was really great at. And I kind of studied tap. I'm not a great tapper, admittedly, <laughs> um, but somehow I get cast in a lot of tap shows. So there you have it. Take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, those were kind of my three uh, 
three things that I did. Mm -hmm. And did you, after high school, did you go into vocational training completely for like dance in America? Yeah. So I actually, um, my last year of high school during that time, I was in New York and studying ballet, which meant instead of being at school, um, during the day I was doing ballet. And so that was kind of a different thing. And like, online classes at the time when online classes were not really a thing. So yeah, I did that and I was told that I was too tall, essentially for the company when I, (laughs) when I was, I think 18 and being my rebellious self, I wasn't that rebellious at the time, but it was, it was still fiery inside of me. I think I gave the middle finger to them and left and I finished off my last year of high school back at home and it was kind of a weird thing because I didn't know what I was going to do because everyone else, I was like, I'm going to be a ballet dancer. I'm going to be a ballet dancer. And then I didn't get into the company that I wanted. And, you know, in hindsight, I should have auditioned for other things. But I was like, well, I will just do something different. And I didn't know what that was at the time. So that was when I started doing theater. Oh, I didn't know that. So that's how it kind of merged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, well, I guess I guess I'm good at dancing. So I know I can dance in musical theater. And I always sang. Um, but I wasn't a fantastic singer. Um, I didn't know if I could act. I had no idea if I could act at all. But here we are. And just went for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How did you end up in the UK? After mm. your time in the US? Like what made you want to go to England and study? NMA essentially in music theater. Yeah. So I had a fascinating conversation that I will remember for the rest of my life. Um, I think it was in 2006, I was doing summer theater up in the mountains in Washington state and a young woman that I was working with, she had said she didn't finish an undergraduate degree. She was just so talented. She left um, school and just started performing. Um, but she said she want, she was going to audition for master's programs in the UK because some programs didn't require you to have an undergraduate degree. It was like you can have an undergraduate degree or, um, you know, equivalent amount of professional experience. And that kind of always stuck with me and was always in the back of my head because I ended up not getting my undergraduate degree. I life happened. My father passed away when I was studying. And so I took care of my family and did all of the other life things. But it was always in the back of my head, like I could, maybe I could get my master's. Maybe I could do this and, you know, go to a country where at least more so than the U.S., the arts are more funded. And there's really fascinating, interesting things happening. And yeah, that that was it. <laughs> Have you ever been to the UK before or? I had. Um, I had been once in, when I was nine years old with my grandma. That's and so that cute. <laughs> first, I think it was the first musical I ever saw in person. I saw Oliver on the West End. And yeah, that was amazing. Blew my mind and <laughs> always kind of stuck with me too. Then you just went back and studied there. Nothing big. Yeah, why not? Why not? Oh, and how did you go about, stu- like, how did you go about the process of finding 
different colleges, different unis, different courses? And then how was the audition process from then on as well? I mean, I, I very much like a, a blessed story. I was like, well, because I at this point, I, my son was, um, so I was a mom at this point. Um, and I had just received my union card. I was in New York City um, and I hadn't booked anything in like a year and I was really down and out and I was frustrated and my son had just turned, I think he was just two at the time. And I was like, well, you know, let's, let's do this audition thing. Let's, let's try. And I looked at some of the schools and Central happened to be auditioning in New York. So I didn't have to like send in any tapes. And I was like, well, this and like their, their program music theater really spoke to me because I'm already a professional dancer. I don't need that. I don't need more of that. Um, I've got all of the tools in my tool belt um, for that skill set. So I wanted to focus on music and acting. Um, so I put all of my eggs in one basket and I auditioned and I showed up to like the wrong audition. I also, I just like applied for everything. I was like, yeah, um, I'll audition for MA acting and also like the BA course because I don't have an undergraduate degree. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I showed up. I didn't have, um, my, like I was supposed to have some paper written, didn't have it. I essentially showed up with my headshot resume and my book of music. And that was it. <laughs> and I didn't audition for any other schools. I just was like, I think this would be where I want to go and what I want to do. And that's it. Cool. Yeah. I love hearing the audition stories from Central, but in New York, because I spoke to Shivan about them as well and Lydia, and they're just so funny because they're so different, but also like, I don't know, it just happened. And then everyone just like happens to be in the UK afterwards. It's just so amazing to see. <laughs> it, it was very serendipitous. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then if we go on, how was it training? So obviously you had to move your whole life over to the UK. I'm guessing in a very short amount of time as well. How was that whole experience moving countries and starting a new degree somewhere else? Uh, um, I mean, there were other factors that made it incredibly difficult in that I, you know, had a two and a half year old son. And so leading up to it, I didn't know what we were going to do. Originally, my family was talking, we were going to come all together to the UK. Um, but that ended up being not feasible, not possible. I mean, it's just, yeah, <laughs> living in New York is hard enough. And I, like, what happened? Um, oh, my visa came in. It was very chaotic. My visa came in the literal day before my flight. Um, it was, <laughs> it was a very chaotic um, <laughs> few months leading up to it. And my mother-in-law ended up moving in with us a month before I left so that she could um, be a caregiver for my son when my husband was at work. And yeah, it, I felt, I really felt like I just threw everything that I could fit into two suitcases and a carry-on and showed up. I didn't have a place to live. I, yeah, had no place to live. I was 
staying at a friend's flat who she usually lets out on Airbnb, but she was like, you can stay there for two weeks while you figure everything out. I, yeah, I was 100% just flying by the seat of my pants the entire time. I had no idea what I was doing. I was you know, missing my child and... Yeah. No, that is, that is, I always find, like, we're, we're going to get onto being a mom in the profession and stuff as well in a second, but I always found it really, I always ad admired that. Like, when you said that you had a kid and you were, like, here and you did your training, I always thought that was amazing how you, how you did it all. Like, it's a superpower in itself, so. I don't know how. That. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you find it, how did you find it training as an actor-singer then, essentially? Because before you were like training as a dancer primarily and then you got into this new world. How was that for you? Was it different? I mean, so I did go, I did study undergrad and I did, um, when I was there, um, I did study acting, primarily acting, um, straight acting. And I, I still always did like singing and musical theater, but I just had this idea that I couldn't sing and that I was terrible because I only was ever cast in dance shows or I was, you know, cast in like straight plays. And so I, I was really scared um, coming in and I am so thankful that you know, Paul and Maria were, uh, the leaders on the course were so positive about what I could do. And they're like, no, no, no. You, you can do this. This is, you're, you're doing absolutely everything right. You just have to, you know, put all of the pieces together. Yeah. I, I think studying acting in particular was always really scary because people talk and in ballet, no one's allowed to speak. Like there's the, like the chaos of humans talking at the same time in a room when I was younger and like um, when I first started studying theater, I would be I would have full panic attacks because people were talking and I, I didn't know how to process like the sound and what was going on. So that was still always really upsetting to me deep down when I would hear chaotic noise. Um, but no, I I I just really, really loved it. And I went in with a dancer's discipline and attitude towards things and that you will absorb everything you possibly can at every moment you possibly can and you know afterwards you you take it or leave it like take what works for you leave what doesn't but while you're there while you're studying be an absolute sponge and I think and you know push yourself to the amount that it, you are capable of and is not, you know, detrimental to your health. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I went in with that mentality and I think, I think it served me very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and how was your graduating journey after Central? Um, how did that evolve? Yeah. So I stayed on at Central and taught for a while. Taught you. Um, <laughs> Um, which was so fun. And the plan had been to stay, but you know, life happens and my, we couldn't reconcile being in two different places and it was too difficult to bring them overseas at that point. So I came back to the U S and, um, I hit the ground running. I did, um, I did take like 
a month when I got back um, to the States in like mid-October, mid-November, and I was like, I'm not going to audition. I'm not going to step into an audition room for a month. I'm just going to focus on myself, decompress a little bit. Like I've just gone through this huge change and I did some like introspective yoga program and just like did a lot of journaling and lots of crying. And then I started auditioning again and January, like the first week of January, which is the beginning of audition season in New York, um, I booked a nine month contract uh, with a resident theater company right out the gate. So that was completely unexpected. And so like in theater in, in the US, that is such a long contract. It is so long. That's um, the only other thing that's like that is if you're on tour or you're on a Broadway show. But of course it was, you know, in rural Virginia. So I was like, well, I guess I move I, again. I guess I have to move again. But you know, my like my family's always been on board with the fact that I will have to travel for what I do. And I have never given up that um that fight in me that like that's what I want to do and I will get there by any means necessary so yeah I what April through December of 2019 I was in Abingdon Virginia with a resident theater company which was so so fun and so different and challenging and yeah it was great yeah you got to you got to do a few different shows didn't you when you were yeah, there. So we did, I, I was in four different productions. So during the summer I was in rep and we did Shrek and La Caja Fall, which was mind blowing <laughs> in those days because I was one of the Kajels. So I was a drag queen. Um, <laughs> and that was, that was a lot. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, and then Shrek is just, it, the whole summer was like a celebration of who you are and what you feel it was it was wonderful um and then in the fall we did the producers i was in the producers there were other shows um that are always going on in rep then i was also in white christmas during the holidays love that show yeah such a beautiful show <laughs> it was it was so it was so wonderful it like it was one of those shows i'm like i could do this for a long time mm -hmm. i could i could keep going <laughs> all year round yeah and would you say that there is any specific difference between the UK and the US market? Mm, I mean, absolutely. I like, what, what do you uh, specifically um, in terms of like musical theater or regional Broadway, West End? Because it's, it's all very different. Yeah. Um, let's, go, let's go for regional as well, because not many people have talked about regional. On the yeah. Podcast. So um, regional theater in the U.S. is really the bread and butter of working actors. And for most of us who audition in New York, our work is not in New York. Our work is regionally. So every the audition seasons typically are January through March, maybe sometimes into April, and then also September through like November. Um, in New York City, and all all of the professional regioner, regioner, regional theaters in the country um, uh, audition for the most part audition out of New York City. So, you know, you'll 
be auditioning for one theater company in the morning and then in the afternoon you have another dance call for maybe even the same show there was like I think some some season where like Mama Mia rights just got released and pardon me there's loud loud cars um people were going to like five Mama Mia auditions every day uh, it was <laughs> It's madness. Wow. I missed. I missed out on that one. I think I was in the UK during that. I was like, I'm. I'm fine. I don't need to be here right now. Um, but yeah. So everything auditions out of New York City. Um, and I think the biggest difference in working and auditioning in the U.S. versus the U.K. is not one. Number one, the amount of people, because they're you, like, the market is New York City. And the reach, everyone who comes to New York is from all over the country, from everywhere. And so you have, and you have all these incredible um, universities and BFA programs from all over the country that produce these really fantastic performers. And so everyone's just thrown into this one city in these like three audition spaces, these three studios essentially, um, and it's it's chaos. And what then happens is another thing that's very difficult and hard to reconcile. Um, so we our union, Actors' Equity, which I'm a member of, is very different than the UK in that we, like, as a union member, I am able to be seen for every audition. I am able to sign up and be seen. If I'm on the list to you know go to an audition, they have to see me. You know, sometimes the auditions fill up if it's like a, a principal audition, but if it's a, a chorus call, they have to see you. Whereas being non-union, you, I mean, the stories are, are brutal. I never went through non-union life in New York City, um, and I'm very, very grateful for that. And also, I don't know how bad it is because I wasn't living it um but i i know stories people get up at you know three four in the morning to put their name on an unofficial list on the front of a door and then they go sit in like you know a mcdonald's and have a coffee and put their makeup on and or sometimes they'll be in line and you know these are in really cold times like most of these things happen in january in new york city so you're freezing and you're out there you know at six in the morning with all of these other people and you know you've put your name on this list but that doesn't mean that a the equity monitor who's running the audition is going to honor it b it doesn't mean that you're going to get seen because oftentimes during these really busy audition seasons, they're like, they'll be half an hour until the call starts. Like most calls start at 10 a.m. At 9.30, the equity monitor will say, we will not be seeing non-equity today. And so all these people who have been there since you know, five, six in the morning have to leave. So that a huge amount of time is wasted. And it's, it's really heartbreaking um, because yeah. there are so many talented people who just don't get seen. Um, and it's kind of the catch 22 as well. It's like, how do you get your union card and get seen all the time if you can't be seen in the room? Yeah. I was going to ask, do you have to audition to be a member of the union? So, um, there are two ways of getting into the union, like technically three, but two main ways. Um, you can get into the union by, um, accruing equity membership candidates, candidate points. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to get, I believe, 52 points, which is 52 weeks 
so you have to be employed on a, a professional like equity theater. You have to be employed a total of 52 weeks. So maybe your contract is six weeks here. So you get six weeks of equity points or membership points or and then you can go up to 52, which is incredibly difficult if you are yeah. not being able to be seen by these theaters. And I mean, the other the other side is most theaters have in um, in their clause with the union, they have to have a certain amount of equity contracts and a certain amount of non-equity contracts. So they do have to see them, but oftentimes those non-union contracts are fulfilled by local actors. So being in New York City without your card is is the biggest hustle, the biggest, most difficult hustle. And I applaud these people every day. Um, and then the other way to get your card is what, what happened for me. Um, a, a theater can just offer you an equity contract. So because they have to have a certain amount of contracts and depending on what kind of role you are cast in, it might be an equity principal role, which means you would then need to take a principal contract or you'd take an equity contract. Um, and that's what happened to me. I was in South Florida and th three months postpartum, <laughs> I walked into an audition room. I hadn't, I hadn't auditioned. I had been injured for a while. And so I took some time off and just focused on yoga and having a baby. I wasn't auditioning. But I saw an audition for um, the Will Rogers Follies at Maltz Jupiter Theater. And oh, sorry, there is a truck outside. And I'm, it's New York City life. New York City. <laughs> Never a dull moment. Um, but I, I was like, well, I looked at the breakdown and it said at least five foot nine, you know, showgirl. I was like, well, that's me. I obviously. And for whatever reason, I was just like, it was in that moment that I'm reading this thing. And I was like, if I don't pursue what I actually want to do, I don't know what kind of example I'm setting for my son. Like as a mother, I have to go out and do what I have dreamed of doing. If, you know, if I'm going to lead by example for my son, I have to go out and fight for the things that I want to do. So Three months postpartum, I walked in. Oh, and it said, must be, must bear, like have a bare midriff in the audition. So I walk in and the audition is just not a, not a dance audition. I walk in to sing, which at this point, this is before my master's, I'm like very tentative, very scared. I walk in in a crop top and like hot pants, like little shorts. <laughs> I've just had a baby <laughs> and I sing and they call me back and um, the day after callbacks of dancing, I get a call from the artistic director and he says like multiple times over the phone, will you accept an equity contract? Will you accept an equity contract? I'm like, yes, 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 absolutely. I'll do it. I'm like, I, and for a lot of people, that's something you don't want to do right away because you, once you are a part of the union, you then cannot work non-union work. I couldn't, I can't do fringe theater for the most part. Yeah, so there's, it's it's tough. And for a lot of people, you want to have, um, you know, the appropriate amount of 
credits and experience under your belt so that when you do walk into these, you know, equity auditions, they're like, oh, she's done this. She's worked with this person, that person. So you kind of have like a rep at that point. Um, You have a reputation. And, you know, if you take your card right away and you don't have these things, you don't have a reputation, they, you know, it's hard to say. Like, it's hard to get, you know, it's who you know which is awful, but that's just how it is. It's who you know and where you went to school, and that's it. Now there's sirens. (laughs) Welcome to New York. I'll just wait for that to pass. Living and breathing it. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, always. Um, So, yeah, I and I think that was kind of, you know, what led me then to get my master's is I got my card, admittedly too early but at the same point I you know I am I'm a new mom I can't be standing out at an audition at four in the morning waiting in line like I I can't do that you know time like time cost analysis like I just can't um and also if I am going to take a job that's further away I need to know that I'm going to make x amount of money which is also what the union help uh, supports and make sure we get paid we get paid enough um and that sort of thing so yeah um that's the the very tip of the iceberg of union life in the states that's so interesting there was so much i didn't actually know like i knew that you have to like it's hard to become a member and that you get seen with the union member card and like yeah. easier, but there was a lot in there that I didn't know. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, of course. It's really, really it's interesting. A lot. Mm. And how is it being a mummy whilst being in this crazy, wonderful performing arts industry? Oh my gosh. Um, it's exhausting to be very, very honest. Um, it's exhausting and wonderful and being able to have like your child see you perform and and see you do you know your job and have have them understand that what you do is like what kids dream about is so incredible and so so beautiful um and i i don't know like mostly it's exhausting um and it's also something of great sacrifice because you have to give up a lot of things to be an actor and additionally when you're a parent you know how do you say no to being home at Christmas you know how do you say no I can't be there for your birthday you know what I mean um there there are a lot of really really difficult choices that you have to make and a lot of people and to you know to their credit, like no shade on them. A lot of people decide to, you know, leave the industry and then have children, which is great and good on them because it's really hard. Um, and, you know, like I remember my first, my first show after I had my son, I was using a breast pump in or my first couple shows. Like I was pumping milk during audition or during um, rehearsals and like, at intermission, you know, I'm pumping milk or like my husband would bring my son so I could feed him at intermission. Like it's, it's a weird, weird thing to have to do. But I mean, I think 
if you're passionate about something, you make it work regardless. Um, if it's something that's important to you, you will find any means to make it a reality. Yeah. Are you allowed to bring um, the children into the rehearsal room or into like backstage area? Um, no, I mean, yes and no, like not during active times, like not in an active rehearsal or during like during a performance, but I've, I've taken Will on stage and backstage with me before. Uh, Will, that's his name, my son. Um, and um, I've, yeah, I've brought him, I mean, I've brought him to auditions. I've absolutely brought him to auditions too. Like, and, and there's so many people just waiting. I'm like, who wants to earn $5 and hang out with my son while I go in this next group? Which, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> It's, you know, it takes it takes a village, as they say. Um, and for the most part, like bringing a kid into these spaces is so rare and so foreign because most people don't have children in in the theater. And the children are, you know, like what we look to as actors. It's like everything is pure impulse and you know, pure joy and discovery, which is like, oh, this is what we're trying to emulate. This is what we're trying to find as performers. Like, I can I can just be with this person and they're not trying to, you know, put anything on or be a certain way or look a certain way. They're just themselves. And I, anytime I would bring like my son into an audition room, it was just like everyone calmed down that, you know, the intensity and anxiety would just drop in the room. And it's like, oh, there's, there's a one-year-old toddling around here. Amazing. Um, so that was always kind of fun. And I obviously would put stress on myself that like nobody wants a kid here. No one wants to deal with this, but we all want to help each other. And, and exactly. And he's adorable. He's really, really <laughs> cute. I love watching videos of him. I'm like, yes. <laughs> He is, he's the sweetest thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then do you want to tell us a bit about your passion and love for yoga? Yeah. Um, so I, I started practicing yoga in 2008, I think, at least intensely. And that was right after my father died. I started really focusing on yoga. And, you know, after I injured myself at one point in 2012, I was like, I'm going to, and I was um, diagnosed with a cervical cancer at that point. I was like, I'm going to take a step back from performing and I'm going to focus on healing myself and healing through um, physical asana practice and meditation as well. But um, so I started doing that and um, I went to a teacher training uh, in 2013. And I've been doing that ever since. I just finished um, an advanced teacher training as well. And what I've been really like curious about is how yoga intersects with what we do in the theater and how they can inform each other. Um, my uh, uh, dissertation, whatever you want to call it, at uh, Central was working as a movement director for uh, Off West End Play and the director knew me because I taught him in um, in the UK, and he was. And I'm very obsessed with backbending. If you know me, I'm obsessed with backbending. It's something I love um, because it stimulates the nervous system and it opens up all of these passageways in the front side of your body. And you know, all of these emotions that we have in our bodies 
you can feel in your torso. You can physically feel them. And so the idea is through the use of backbending and physical asana, can we open up these areas of our body and make ourselves more like open and um, able to have a, an embodied um, acting experience? And um, so that was something that I worked with this company of actors on uh, and it was it was amazing and then recently I'm now kind of flipping that and I just worked on I just taught on a teacher training uh, for new yoga teachers leading them through vocal training uh, essentially actor vocal training um, how to use their voice how to you know speak with an embodied voice and how to speak with an authentic voice because like if if you think of a yoga class you think like the yoga teacher voice that's really not you know what i mean yeah yeah yes absolutely everybody does um and so the idea of like knocking that out and well the tools that i know as an actor absolutely apply to how you can fix that it's the same thing, you know, it's, it's being present, it's being open and, you know, having all your resonators open. And so I got to start playing with these new yoga teachers and I'm sure they looked like they were having quite a laugh at me <laughs> as I was going through like link later warmups with them. <laughs> and, um, I mean, all obviously this was all on zoom, which is a whole other layer of chaos. So yeah, um, that's also part of what I do. That's interesting. That's, I it's, never knew that the backbending would have a link with that. Like that's so interesting. Yeah. So the idea is um, your, all of your chakras, um, starting with your root and going up through crown. Um, the idea is that in our normal daily lives, they're blocked in certain ways. And through asana practice, which is why asana is important, not just meditation. Obviously you need both. You, um, it's a whole other conversation, eight limbs of yoga, but you want to try to find and open the pathways through each chakra. And in Western society, um, we spend a lot of time, especially now on zoom and things yeah. we're hunched over, we're hunched over our devices. We are, um, looking into screens. We're on our phones at computers. Um, and so we're closing off the solar plexus chakra, which is yeah, like below your diaphragm, stomach kind of area. And it, like imagine if a stranger came up to you and they put your hand on your put their hand on your stomach. How horrifying is that? Like if someone just put their hand, if they just touched your stomach, like as opposed to anything else, like imagine the sensations and like how uncomfortable it is if someone were to touch you there and it's not that it's like a necessarily a private place, but it's where we hold so many emotions and it's where we guard so much of ourselves. And so if you can, you know, have that expanded and have that open and have the chakra or the pathways ener body energy centers is another um, term that's used. If you can have that open, you can then, you know, move from that place and, you know, respond from that place. And instead of responding from a place of like fear and, you know, self-preservation, you can move with 
openness and whatever is coming at you, you can respond directly to that. So that's why I think backbending is a great tool, not just physically for your body, but also mentally. Um, like you're opening your, you know, you're opening your throat, your heart and all of these things we don't want to open. I love that. I want to start backbending now. Yeah. <laughs> you do courses, don't you? Like online for backbending and yoga and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping to, um, I'm planning at the moment the the everything's in the works. Um, hoping by sometime in 2021 to be hosting a continuing continuing education um, training for mostly yoga teachers already, but it can be for other people as well of how to teach backbending and, you know, the importance and nuances of the practice, because in a lot of uh, teacher trainings, it's something that gets like thrown to the side because it's, it's hard. It's super hard. And it's, you know, it's scary. Like if you think about going backwards, most people get afraid and that's, that's the whole point. Like we're, we're afraid of opening our bodies up. So that's something that I'm hoping to get on its feet soon. That's exciting. Definitely. Yes. I will be coming back to you about backbending. (laughs) (laughs) We're kind of coming towards the end of the interview. (laughs) So the last few questions are always similar, always the same. Um, so let's start off with, in your opinion, what unites us as creatives? Mm. I think, uh, like the spirit to want to find unity even in all different forms like we want to find human connection and I I think human connection can be literally anything but I think that's what we're all looking for is new ways of connecting Mm -hmm. so I I mean I think that's everything yeah it is it's beautiful Um, and what's the biggest thing that you have learned on your journey so far? I know there's many. Um, don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah. I mean, take your work seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously because you, we are humans and we mess up all the time. Like that is how we are created and how we are built. We are meant to make mistakes and then we learn from them. But, you know, take your work seriously. Don't take yourself seriously. And, like, I'm still trying to process that. <laughs> it is a constant work. Yeah. And this is my ultimate favorite question. What makes you unique as a performer? Mm. It's your little self-love moment of the day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an absolute, like, uncaged animal on stage. <laughs> Good and bad. Like I am just, I, I not, I don't feel possessed when I'm on stage, but like I cannot be put down. Um, and, and sometimes I, you know, need someone to like rein me back in. But once I'm performing, once I'm in it and out there, like the, energetically, I can't be stopped. Um, I've been told by multiple people um, that I'm just a stage animal. Um, and, and I think that's okay. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm a very big person. 
like I'm a very tall person, very long. I have a, a wide presence in that sense. And in, I don't allow myself to get smaller because of that. Um, I just decide to take up more space. Uh, so yeah, I think good or bad, <laughs> uncaged animal. I think it's great. <laughs> And before we finish for today, do you have any last comments or advice that you'd like to give the listeners? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, trust yourself. And if something feels right for you that doesn't necessarily look right on paper or seem right to someone else, like trust what feels right for you because you, you know, you are the only person who can understand what's happening you know, in your own body, in your own experience, all we have is our own experience. And if something's not ringing true for you, you need to step back and find something that is. Beautiful. Thank you so much. It was so lovely to have you on today. Oh, thank you. It's so nice to talk to you and see your face. <laughs> yeah, it's been so long. <laughs> Truly. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Artist Avenue will be back next Wednesday with another exciting interview. Make sure to follow us on social media and keep up to date with all the artists' profiles and their projects. There is something very exciting coming your way in December, so keep your eyes peeled for that and see you next week! <laughs>